Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead, yet speaketh. Paul is bringing us into the great cloud of witnesses. He's bringing us into this hall of faith to meet the heroes of faith. And as he does so, he follows the narrative of the scriptures. He's following the Bible timeline through the trail of the history of redemption. He's doing it chronologically. He begins in Genesis 1. He's mentioned the creation. Verse 3, we, through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. He's brought us to the beginning. And he leads us through the history of redemption following the people of faith right up to the new covenant. Right up to us even. Who also are to have faith and to look on to Jesus. So he starts at creation, then he goes to the age from the fall to the flood, what we call the primeval age, Genesis 4 to Genesis 11. He highlights Abel, Enoch, and Noah. And then he goes to the age of the, the patriarchs, the rest of the book of Genesis, Abraham, we can include Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. Then he goes to the Exodus with Moses and Israel passing through the Red Sea. Then he goes to the age of conquest, to the falling of the walls of Jericho, to Joshua, then to the period of the judges that we read of in verse 32, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah. Then he goes to the monarchy. Then all the prophets that he does not name, but he calls them as a group. And then us. Chapter 12, verse 1. Seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside. So he begins with Abel and he finishes with us who are part of this cloud of witnesses, if we have the same faith. So it's a unified history. It's one. And the thread that unites all and winds through all is faith. And that faith is the same faith throughout. The same faith of God's elect from Abel to us. That faith is essentially the same. It's like a flower in the garden. In God's garden in this world, there is the flower of faith. And all the people of God possess it. Abel has it. It's in its bud stage, but it's the same flower. And as generation passes, it opens up more and more and and blossoms more and more till it becomes a flower in full bloom. 
with all the sweetness and brightness of grace. And that's how we possess it now, today. In all its openness, in all its brightness, in all its bloom. But it's the same flower as Abel had when it was a bud. So it's one faith, the same faith, not a different faith, but a growing, blossoming faith in the full revelation of God that we now possess. And the essence of that faith is things hoped for. And their substance is found in Jesus Christ. Because he's the one who brings us all these things hoped for. Faith in its essence, even in its bud stage to its full blossom stage, faith is always looking on to Messiah. It is always looking on to the seed of the woman. It is always looking on to Christ, looking on to him who would bring in the hope that is laid before us. Faith is Christ and the hope that is only found in him. Now as Paul takes us through the biblical narrative, there are two notable omissions. In this period that he covers. There are two eras. He passes over. He doesn't mention the fall. He goes straight from the creation to Abel. And he doesn't mention. The wilderness wanderings. He brings us from creation to Abel and Cain. And then. That's to the east of Eden. And Adam and Eve are not mentioned. And then at the Exodus, he brings us from the Red Sea and the destruction of Pharaoh's host straight to the falling of the walls of Jericho. The wilderness experience is omitted. They're passed over. He, of course, dealt with the wilderness wanderings earlier in Hebrews, and we saw that. That is not marked as an era of faith. That is marked as an era of unbelief. He emphasized the unbelief. He focused on unbelief. And when he was dealing with unbelief, he dealt with the period of the wilderness wanderings. So he doesn't include that here. That period was not looking forward. That period was not believing God. That period was not eyeing the hope that was before us. That period, the people were looking back. We want to go back. We want the cucumbers, we want the garlic, we want Egypt. At least we had a life in Egypt. It's a period of looking back. A period of unbelief. And faith goes on to the end. It endures. It doesn't look back. And so that period is omitted. And as for the fall, it is not mentioned, but it is assumed. Because the fall is great unbelief. The fall is apostasy by unbelief. The fall was the embracing of the lie of the devil. It was not faith. It wasn't looking to the hope that was before. Unbelief and believing the devil's lie. And it was the rejection of the promise of God. And therefore Adam and Eve 
are not held forth as examples of faith. They could never be held forth as examples of faith. Yes, God clothed them in grace. We believe that they were saved. But we read of no acts of faith on their part. It only begins with Abel and the acts of faith. There is perhaps one exception which I may mention as we proceed through the sermon. But the sin they brought in by the fall, it is always assumed and in the mind of the apostle. The offering that Abel offered was because of the fall. It was because of sin. It was for sin. That which Noah condemned in the world by his faith was sin. He condemned sin. The sin that was brought in by the fall. It was the pleasures of sin that Moses refused. The blood of sprinkling that was kept at the Passover was for sin. The Egyptians who were destroyed in the Red Sea were destroyed because of sin. So the fall and sin is always assumed. But there were no acts of faith during the fall. And therefore Adam and Eve are not named in this hall. They're not the heroes of faith. So this faith then views that which delivers from the effects and the fruits of the fall. It views not the old Eden, but the new Eden. The new Eden which is to be brought in by Jesus Christ. The things hoped for. And so Paul commences with the Abel and the Cain narrative that we read in Genesis chapter 4. And Abel's great act of faith was this. By faith Abel offered unto God the most excellent sacrifice. So Paul begins outside Eden. That's what I'm saying. Because that's where we all are. Outside paradise. We're all in a dark fallen world. We're all born outside of Eden. We're all conceived outside of it. And born outside of it. Born in sin. Born into a fallen world. Outside the paradise of God. And we can't look back. There's no hope looking back to what we lost. There's only hope in looking forward to what the grace of God has promised to sinners in Jesus Christ. Now Adam and Eve, as you know, were created sinless and were in Eden, but they were cast out as fallen. And we've all been born outside in sin. So that's where Paul begins the story of faith. Because this saving faith begins in a fallen world. Through the grace of God. Now notice that while Abel is first named. He's not named alone. And he wasn't the firstborn. Cain was the firstborn. Cain is first named in Genesis 4. But in Hebrews 11, it is Abel that is first named. 
but he's named in relation to his brother. They are inseparable. Even in the hall of faith, they are named together. Abel is the man of faith. Cain is not. Abel is the one who has the righteousness of faith. Cain has not. Abel offers the right and the good sacrifice. Cain does not. And Paul, of course, as I said, he's following the Genesis 4 narrative. He expects that we know that story. He also expects that after having heard his sermon on it, we will go home again and read it in the light of what he has said. So he expects that we do that. He expects us to familiarize ourselves time and time again with the story. And Paul does not expect us to replace the story with his words. He expects that we study the story in the light of his words. Because that's the true light. That's the Holy Spirit's light. That's how the Holy Spirit views the story. Paul did not have to name Cain. Then Cain did not have to be included in the text. It could have been omitted. By faith, Abel unto God offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice by which he obtained witness. But Paul has to write the words than Cain. He has to bring in that man of unbelief. He wants us to know that there are always two peoples in the world. There are always a division. There are always two groups There's always the separation that is caused by faith. Faith causes a division. Faith causes a division in the family. Faith causes a division in the community. Faith causes a division in the world. Faith separates the people of God from the people of unbelief. There are two communities. The community of faith The community of unbelief. There is the elect of God. There is the world. There are the saints, the called out, the believing. And there are those who remain the ungodly, the unbelieving. And this division comes down even to families. Two camps, two lines. The people of the heavenly city, the sun and the daughters of God and the people of Babylon, the seed of the devil. Two peoples. Always two peoples. And at the start of this hall of heroes, Paul reminds us of that. He doesn't follow the line of unbelief. He doesn't go from the seventh from Adam in the unbelieving line through Cain to Lamech. He follows the seventh from Adam through the believing line to Enoch. He's bringing us down the line of faith. But at the start, he reminds us there is a division. There are two lines. The line of faith, the line of unbelief. Now notice that in our text there are three persons named. 
There's Abel, there's God, and there's Cain. The order of the words is design. That's the order. Abel, God, Cain. God in the middle. God believed, God unbelieved, making the separation. Abel offered unto God. God had respect unto Abel. Abel and Cain are one. Abel and Cain are joined by faith. But unto Cain, God had no respect. No union. No oneness. God only gives testimony to Abel and to his offering. And I have to say that Abel, God and Cain reminds me of Calvary. This strikes me as a picture of Calvary. Because at Calvary, we have in the center Christ. We have the Lord. And on one side, we have a thief of faith. A believing thief of faith who eyes Christ and Christ eyes him. And there is a union of faith and the promise of things hoped for. A hope. A paradise. Even the Lord thought of East of Eden and the paradise of God, which they were outside when he was dying on the cross. I think perhaps even the Lord viewed this scene on the cross. Today you'll be with me in paradise. Eden will be restored. You have the things hoped for. You have the promise of the restoration of the paradise. So the thief of faith had this faith, things hoped for, the restoration of the paradise, the Eden of God. The other thief of unbelief did not. He had not the promise of things hoped for. So that dying thief pictures to me Abel. The offering of Abel is what is looming large in Abel's faith. Let's think about that. By faith Abel offered. He offered. And that pictures that which restores to paradise. The offering. You see, Abel and all the people of God, this is what they hoped for. The restoration of the paradise of God. The face to face with God, the walking with God in the midst of the paradise of God. The divine glory no need for clothes, just the divine glory covers all, shrouds all so that there's no shame, only light, only light and glory, only walking with God, only face to face in the midst of the paradise of God. God is going to restore that, only far more glorious than Eden. And this is what the people of God has always hoped for. In the seed of the woman, there would be the undoing of the satanic work and the restoration of the paradise of God. And faith sees the seed of the woman who will do this. And so Abel had faith in the one who would bring him back to the tree of life. Bring him back to the paradise of God. And Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice in the faith of that. 
And it was a sacrifice of blood and fat. Because it was the firstlings of his flock. Either sheep or goats. Probably sheep. The firstlings, the lambs, the fat thereof. No fat without death. No fat without the sword slain and spilling the blood. And the beast being slaughtered. The fat of the firstlings. The sacrifice by blood. That was Abel's offering. It went under the knife. It went up in the flames. The fat thereof being the fuel of the offering. It was the burnt offering. There's something about the offerings that relates to faith. Abel's faith is manifested in the offering of fat and blood. Abel's unbelief is manifested in the offering of, of fruit. Of the harvest of the ground. There's something about the offerings. Now I know liberal Bible scholars will deny that. And there are people who come to the Bible and they want to study it outside the context of the rest of the scripture. They want to keep it all in its historical setting and forget that they have a whole Bible that floods in on this scene. The liberals want to keep everything out and they just want to interpret it in its context. And the Bible scholars who thus study scripture say... It was about their hearts. It's nothing to do with the offerings. It's nothing to do whether it was fruit, you know, potatoes or apples or oranges or the fat of the lambs. They were just, that was just their business. They brought what their business allowed them to bring and it really was nothing to do with the offerings. It was just to do with their heart. But that is wrong. Yes, it was about their hearts. But their hearts were made manifest in the offerings. The one was of blood and the other was bloodless. And the faith in their heart was manifest in the one or the other. So we read into the text. And that's what Paul does. He reads into the text. We read the New Testament into the text. You say, people, liberals say you shouldn't do that. Well, we do do it. It's all the word of God. We read into it the rest of scripture. We read into it the gospel. We read into it the cross. And we're not ashamed to be reading into it the cross of the blood of the Lamb. We believe the whole revelation of God. That it has a unity. And Paul wants us to read into it. And the Spirit of God wants us to read into it. And Christ wants us to read into it. Because he said, they are there to testify of me. Abel and Cain and the offering, they are there to testify of me. So Christ wants us to read into it. And that's what the Christian church has always done. That's why the Jewish community won't accept it. They, they say we, we read into scripture, Jesus of Nazareth. That's not a literal understanding of the Old Testament. Well, that's how the church has always done it. That's how the church is going to continue to do it. We're going to read Jesus Christ into the narrative. That's the true interpretation of the Old Testament scriptures. That's how we interpret the Bible. Christ was in Abel's offering. 
Christ stands in relation to Abel's offering and not that one of Cain's, that offering of dead fruit. However colorful it was, however rich and expensive it appeared, Christ is not identified with that. The hope, the faith, the things to come are identified with the bloody offering. Christ was in the lamb slain. Christ was in the substitutionary victim, not in the dead, colorful fruit. Christ died for our sins. We have forgiveness of sins through his blood. The hope of things to come have come to us by the offering the once for all offering of Jesus Christ. And so Christ by his blood restores us to the paradise of God. That's the faith of Abel. And in that faith he offered a bloody sacrifice. The liberals say Abel could not have seen that. He could not have known that. He did know it. Not with the full rose blossom as we do. But in the bud, he knew it. Oh yes, he knew it. Let us turn to Genesis 3. You you will notice at the end of Genesis 3, what befell Adam and Eve. Now they had unbroken communion with God in Eden. The tree of life was in Eden. The promise of the eternity with God was all in Eden. But the fall came, and what happened? Verse 23. And it it sounds harsh and sharp. Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the Garden of Eden. He was sent out. He was expelled. He was exiled. Sent forth to till the ground from whence he was taken. Verse 24. Driven out. Maybe the man didn't want to go. Maybe Adam and Eve says, oh, we don't want to lose this. The tree of life. As God backed them out out of the Garden of Eden and they were eyeing the tree of life, getting further and further from it, he drove them out. He, He pushed them out. And maybe they thought, we'll go back in again. We'll sneak in at night. Will you get to the tree of life? No. They were driven out to the east of the Eden and at the east of the garden cherubim agents of divine justice burning creatures of fire who surround the holiness of God the awesome holiness of God who say holy, holy, holy and who burn and consume everything that is unholy these instruments of the justice, the fiery justice of God, they keep the east of the garden, they keep the way to the tree of life, they turn every way so that no one is going to sneak in. Every way, like a a flaming sword, back and forth, back and forth, no one's going into the tree of life. And so these agents of justice particularly are noted for having a sword. A sharp sword. A blood-spilling sword. 
A man slain sword. Not only sharp but fiery. A burning sharpness. A terrible fiery justice. And east of that. Abel knew Eve. And she conceived. And men began to be born. East of Eden. Chapter 4 begins east of Eden. And the story of Cain continues east of Eden. Cain is the firstborn. Very probably, almost certainly, Abel was his twin. Twin brothers. One conception, two births. They were named in faith. That's where Adam and Eve's faith begin to be seen coming in in the name that they give to these boys. But that's a story, another story, and another sermon. Suffice to say that in those names, the parents confessed the vanity of this fallen world and the need of a man from the Lord to reverse it. And to bring them back again to the blessedness of the divine glory. Are these two boys born in the believing home? And it's sobering to think that in the very same house, a house of faith, there can be produced a seed of faith and also a seed of unbelief. The very same house. That sobers us who bring up children in the faith. Faith does not run in human blood. It does not come in DNA. But it comes in God's sovereign electing grace. Faith makes Abel and Cain to differ because grace makes them to differ. Now remember these two boys were born and grew up in view of Eden. In view of the burning fiery sword of justice and the cherubim turning every way. The presence of God, the face of God is in there. The tree of life is in there. The hope is to have that face again. And not to be more driven away. Whenever Cain was sinning and killed Abel, God drove him more away. More away from the presence of God. Still east of Eden, but further and further away. His offering did not bring him near to God. But further and further away. So these boys aid the blessedness of God's presence from the distance and the fiery sword in between. And they made their offerings unto that God. Surrounded by the fiery cherubim. And Cain made his offering of dead fruit. What's that going to do? How's that going to get into the presence of God? How's that going to deal with the fiery cherubim and the fiery sword of justice? So Cain is first. He leads away with the offerings. In the process of time, Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. Abel follows him. Abel offers after him, but he does not offer the same offering. He follows him with the offerings, but he doesn't follow him with the same offering. Abel has faith. Abel has acceptance with God because of faith. Abel has the face of God, the promise of God, the hope of things to come. 
accept it. And his offering is the visualization of how that is so. He is accepted because of his faith. And that offering reflects his faith. And what faith is, it restores to God. It reconciles to God. And it eyes the hope of things to come. That's why we spent so long in this definition of faith. The substance of things hoped for. Firstlings of the flock and fat. That suggests two things. That suggests a knife. A sword. The spilling of blood. And the fat suggests fire. Fuel for fire. Fairy justice burning up the offering, the victim, the substitute. An oblation of a lamb. This is the protological lamb. This is the first lamb. It's not the eschatological lamb. It's not the last lamb. There's always protological before the eschatological. There's always first before the last. Because it takes time for Messiah to come. But this is the first. The first lamb of God. And he is a type and a picture, and so is every other lamb in the Old Testament of the last. There's a second lamb, you can study that out. There's a third lamb in the Old Testament, and on and on and on it goes. There's thousands of lambs. But every one of them is pointing to the eschatological lamb. The last. The last Adam. The last lamb. And the lamb makes the way to the tree of life. So Abel is testifying of things to come, the hope of things to come, Christ and the riches of his grace on the grounds of his blood. And so Paul begins with the death of Jesus Christ typified in the offering of Abel's faith. All covenant blessings come to us through Christ's blood. The city without foundations comes to us through Christ's blood. The heavenly country comes to us through Christ's blood. The better resurrection comes to us through Christ's blood. The new paradise, the right to the tree of life, the everlasting eternal life, the enjoyment of the presence of God and the paradise of God with all the glory of God that we read in Revelation and the last chapters it comes to us in the blood of Jesus Christ. And Abel hopes for that. And that lamb pictures him going to the tree of life by way of the fiery sword and the fiery justice that cuts him up, devours him up, burns him up. That lamb couldn't put it out. But Christ the Lamb of God puts it out. Christ the Lamb of God goes through the fiery sword. He's cut up. My body which is broken for you. My body which is cut up for you. My blood which is shed and spilled as by a sword for you. He's cut up. He's slain. And he deals with that fiery sword east of Eden. 
and he brings us into the presence of God. He makes the way open and free. It's only the blood of Christ does that. So yes, I do read Christ in this offering. And we are right to do so. And the Jews in their blindness cannot see it. Christ crucified is our hope of glory. And so you see then, Abel testifies of Christ. And Christ testifies of him. And he being dead, yet speaketh. And you've heard him today. And the question that is asked is, do you have this faith? Do you stand with with Abel? Do you have the faith of Abel? If not, you have to leave Cain's camp and come. And you have to set up tent with the people of God. And you have to choose the saints and to choose the church and to choose Jesus Christ. You have to do that. Without this faith, it is utterly impossible for you to even begin to please God. And you who do have this faith, the people of God who stand in the camp of Abel, who have the same offering of blood in the Lamb of God, compassed about with all these witnesses of faith, let us lay aside every weight. Every sin that easily besets us. And let us run with patience. The race that is set before us. Ever looking on to Jesus. Never taking our eyes off him. Until he brings us. Into the heavenly rest. To be with him forever and ever. In the midst of the paradise of God that he promised to the dying thief. Enjoying all the glory of God. Unbroken. Throughout an endless eternity. Keep looking on to Jesus.